As we do look to God's word this morning, please turn with me to Psalm 119. Today we will look at the last eight verses of this psalm. And so thank you for going through this journey with me through Psalm 119. I, I always start a series with a little bit of fear and trepidation as I'm moving through something that's relatively new. And then when I come to the end of a series, I'm always a little disappointed that it comes to an end because of all the things I've learned and have had opportunity to proclaim to you. And I feel the same way about Psalm 119 as we come to the end of, of this series and think about uh, the word of God and how important it is to the people of God as they live the good parts of their lives, as they live the difficult, difficulties of their lives, and as they live the tension of the Christian life, which we will look at today. And so let us read together. If you have your Bibles, take up with me and read uh, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 169. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, this is your word that I proclaim. And so, Lord, may your spirit come so that I may do justice to these words that you have here. And may that spirit also be here so that your people can hear and be changed. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So typically when you and I choose a movie or a TV show to watch, we like movies or shows or books that kind of wrap up all neat and tidy at the end. We like the, we like the resolution that leaves us with a sense that the story is complete, that the story is whole, and that the story and the ending of the story are good endings that we can feel good about. The movie Castaway, the ending of the movie Castaway, I think is at the same time both one of the most brilliant portrayals of life in this world at the end of the movie, and yet at the very same time one of the most frustrating movie endings there is on the planet. Think about the story of the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks plays a FedEx pilot. And as he is flying from one country to another, his plane crashes in the ocean. He survives and a whole bunch of the packages wash up on this island with him. And he spends five years on the island, opening most of the packages, but keeping one intact because that is his source of hope. He is one day going to deliver this package. And finally, after about five years, he's rescued and, and he is, is taken to a hospital and he is healed up and, and fed and fattened up and kind of reintegrated into society only to find out that his wife, who thought he was dead, has married and moved on with her life. And 
but he's still clinging to that package. And he's got that package and he finally, once he's got life and his health kind of back together, he takes that package and he rings the doorbell at the address where that package was to be delivered and nobody answers. And so he leaves the package on the porch and he drives away and he stops at this crossroads. Four roads intersecting, one going north, one going south, one going east, one going west, and he's there leaned over the hood of his car with a map and this truck pulls up and this attractive lady gets out of the truck and you're thinking, is this the lady whose name was on the package? Everything's going to work out just fine. He's going to meet this lady and his life is going to be tied up like a neat, pretty bow on a package and everything's going to be good. The lady gets out, they converse. She says, well, up this road is this a ways. And if you go this way, you'll find this a little bit of a way. And if you go that way, you'll find this at that end of the road. And in this direction, you'll find that at that end of the road. And they look at each other, their eyes lock. And then they both say, and then Tom Hanks says, thank you. The lady says, you're welcome. And she gets off and drives off on her truck. And Tom Hanks is left there in the middle of the crossroads not knowing where to go as the movie fades. There's a tension there in that movie, in that ending. On the one hand, things are good. He's been rescued. He's been healed from his hurts. He has a, a vehicle and he's getting his life back on track. On the other hand, where's he going now? He doesn't know. There's a tension of the unknown. And I say it's brilliant because it really gives to us a good picture of the Christian life. Our psalmist, we would have been very happy if our psalmist had ended with the section previous to this one. Because we saw the joy that the psalmist has in the word of God. We see the peace that the word of God brings to the psalmist and we see that hope for perfect and ultimate redemption at the end of time in the previous section. And we would have been very happy because that would have wrapped this up like a bow. But the psalmist had one letter left to write according to. And he gives us this section that ends with a tension, the tension of the good, the bad and the ugly of life. And as we consider the good, the bad, and the ugly today, I want us to see that the present Christian experience is oftentimes one of unresolved tension that is utterly dependent upon grace. First, the good. Our psalmist in verse, in 100, in verse 12 of this psalm made one of several requests for God to teach him his laws. You know, you and I are utterly dependent upon God for understanding his word. Yes, there are sentences and things that we can that we can find the definition of and the meaning of. But to truly understand in a way that changes our lives as the psalmist life has been changed through the word of God, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so the psalmist in verse 12 of Psalm 119 prays to God, teach me your words. And then what does he tell us in the second half of verse 171 in today's passage? It says, for you teach me your decrees. And in the next verse, all your commands are righteous. The psalmist is saying, God, you have answered my prayer for teaching and for understanding. 
You have taught me your words. I understand the righteousness, the truth, the goodness of your words. And because of that, I do two things. First, he says in 171, he says, may my lips overflow with praise. He is moved to abundant praise for God because God has taught him his decrees. This word translated overflow, I I want you to picture a toddler with a half gallon of milk and an eight ounce glass. What happens there? Well, the toddler pours all 64 ounces of that half gallon, but only eight ounces of it can be held in the glass. That's the overflow word there that the psalmist uses when he talks about praise. I overflow. I am so full of joy and peace and hope. It's like I'm trying to squeeze 64 ounces of milk into an eight ounce glass. It's just going to come out. It's just going to overflow. If we were to look at Romans chapter 11 and Paul's words in Romans 11, we would see that he says this in verses 33 through 36. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. What motivated that overflow of praise from Paul's pen? It was 11 chapters of Paul considering the greatness and the glory and the goodness of the redemption and justification that comes to God's people through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have talked frequently throughout our study of Psalm 119 about this idea of internalizing through study and meditation on God's word, internalizing those truths to the point where they shape our lives. Does that study, does that internalizing lead you to overflow with praise and worship for God? If it doesn't, and as you seek out to live, if you, as you seek to live out God's word and you only feel guilt and shame, take some time to look at passages like Romans 3 or Romans 8. Romans 8, which I mentioned earlier in our, in our assurance of pardon, Romans 8.1 tells us that through Jesus, there is no more condemnation for those who believe in him. In our natural state, our sins lead us to be condemned before God. But when the Holy Spirit comes and applies salvation to those who believe, we are transformed from a place of condemnation to a place of acceptance. And so as we study God's word, as we read his law, as we see evidences of his redemption throughout his word, we should be moved to overflow with praise. Which leads us to the second thing that the psalmist declares that he wants to do. He says, may my tongue sing of your word in verse 172. In other places throughout the New Testament, this word for sing is translated shout or declare. This isn't merely humming a tune to yourself or or sticking your earphones in your ear and listening to good hymns and solid Christian music. This is the idea of whether it's through song or through words, declaring the goodness of God, 
speaking forth the goodness of God. Parents, we are called to do this within our families. Husbands, you are called to do this with your wife. All of us are called to do this in our work, in our play, in our recreation, in life, in our hobbies. We are called to declare the goodness of God's word. We are called to take the bread that we had been given as beggars, and we are to take that bread to other beggars and declare, proclaim to them the good news that God saves. The psalmist spends these two verses showing that God is the God who hears and answer prayer. And in light of this hearing and answering, he declares that he will praise the goodness of God and he will proclaim that goodness to the world. And so the good is that God has taught him his decrees and shown him the righteousness of his commands. And so he will praise and declare but then he moves from the good to the bad. Part of the bad, the first part of the bad is, is found in verses 169 and 170 as the psalmist cries out that, yes, God has answered my prayers, but I still feel unheard by God. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. The first, two half, the, the, the first half of both of those verses, may my cry come before you and may my supplication come before you, are, are words of desperation. Have you ever been so lost in a situation? Have you ever just been so overwhelmed in a negative sense by, by things that are going on in your life that all you can really do is just scream to God? The words come out inarticulate, the words come out in a, in a way that you can't understand. It's just this, this cry, this scream that comes out before God that, that we're told later on in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit takes and, and brings that to God as a, as a prayer that God understands and answers. That's the sense that we have here. The psalmist, yes, he affirms that God has answered his prayer, but he's still in persecution. He's still being tempted. He's still being slandered. He is still being threatened with violence because of his stand on the scriptures. And so he cries out to God, please hear me. Please listen to my supplication, my request and help me. In these two verses, the help comes in the form of internal change, internal help and also external help. Give me understanding, he says, in verse 169, why would the psalmist need understanding? Think about God's word and the promises that are made. We read through, we, we've studied previously through the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, there's a, if this happens, then this happens. And a lot of times the if, the, if part of the statement is, if you follow God's laws and God's decrees, then God will bless you. But many times within our world, it seems like if I follow God's decrees, I am anything but blessed. I am persecuted. Things don't always seem to work out to our eyes according to the way that God promises they will for those who seek to follow him, who love him and are called according to his purpose. We don't see the good that God is working in all things. 
And so the psalmist says, Lord, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my struggle, I need understanding. Help me understand who you are. Help me understand what you are doing. Help me understand how your promise applies in this situation. He also cries for external rescue. He says in verse 170, he says, deliver me according to your promise. That word deliver there is a word of rescue. It's a word of relief. It's related to that idea that God is our strong fortress, our strong tower, the one who will deliver us from the attacks of the evil one. And so the psalmist cries out to God, hear me, let me understand what's going on and deliver me according to the promise that you give. And then in verses 173 through 175, he explicitly cries out for help. He says, may your hand be ready to help me. I long for your salvation, O Lord. Let me live that I may praise you. The psalmist desperately wants God's help in his life. He is utterly dependent upon God for help in the situation that he is in. And what is the basis that he uses to cry out to God? Well, number one, he delights in the law of God. He has that infantile, childlike delight in the law of God. You know, that the, the baby that's reaching for a toy but just can't quite get to it, but nothing's stopping that child from reaching and, and grabbing for that toy. That's the delight that the psalmist has in the law of God. But also, the psalmist has chosen God's precepts. Christians oftentimes are, are accused of having a blind faith. The psalmist says, my faith's not blind. I've weighed the options before me. I've weighed the the precepts and the rules that the world lays down. I've I've weighed the the precepts and the rules that the false religions have laid down. I've, I've considered the precepts and the rules of God, and I have found one of those to be better and worthy of pursuit and worthy of following. And it is the righteous decrees and precepts, the word of God. The psalmist knows his options, and yet he knows by the power of the Spirit that choosing the precepts of God is the path to life and life more abundant. And then he wraps up with that request that he's made over nine times within the book of, or the Psalm 119, let me live, preserve my life that I may praise you. Notice that it's not just preserve my life. It's not just let me live. It's not just help me. It's not just rescue me. It's help me. It's rescue me. It's preserve my life so that I may praise you. As you study the Psalms of Lament, as you go through the Psalms that start out in in things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or end with all of my friends are darkness you'll notice that those psalmists don't merely ask God to rescue them. At the end of Psalm 22, which starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist ends with, when you rescue me, I will declare your goodness to generations. And he did that very thing by writing that psalm down, that prayer down. We pray, we ask God for things for a particular reason. Typically, we just say, God above, heal my friend, or Lord, help me on my test, 
or Lord, reconcile my relationship when we should be praying. Lord, heal my friend so that she can praise you. Lord, help me on my test so that I can declare your goodness to my friends. Lord, reconcile my relationships so that the world can see and hear of your reconciling love. At minimum, you ask for a prayer request so that God's name can be praised. The psalmist has seen and tasted the goodness of God, but he still lives in the difficulty and the tension of this world. And that leads us to the ugly. Our last verse could be summarized in the last stanza of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Oh, Lord, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I think without the Spirit's help, without the true understanding of the gospel, verse 176 would make absolutely no sense. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Well, which is it? Have you strayed or have you not forgotten God's commands? And the gospel tells us that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. We both stray and in the power of the Spirit, we have not forgotten God's commands. Here's the true tension of the Christian life. Like the psalmist, you and I are still wandering sheep who know and seek to follow God's word, yet we still wander away from the shepherd, forcing him to seek you and to seek me. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. In an almost identical language, the psalmist says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. This is proof positive that the psalmist is not proclaiming perfectionism throughout this psalm. He is not saying there is a level that you and I can per attain perfection in this world. He has declared over and over again that he has not forgotten, that he loves, that he is uh, conforming his life to the law of God. And that's just a reminder that he is seeking to shape his life according to the law of God. But he is still a human being plagued by the influence of sin. And he wanders. You wander. I wander. And what is the psalmist's response to this wandering? He says, seek your servant. Which is an amazing prayer if we can compare this to verse 2 of Psalm 119. In the first two verses of Psalm 119, the psalmist says, blessed are those. And verse 2 says, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Psalmist says, I haven't forgotten that, O Lord. I have not forgotten that you, that you bless those who seek you. 
I've wandered. Seek me. How does God answer this prayer? He answers it in Matthew 18. Actually, he answered it partially in Exodus or Ezekiel 34 that we read earlier. And then he shows us the full answer in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. We oftentimes look at Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we think about the people out there. Think about the people who maybe have never even been exposed to the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. We, we think about those who have been exposed, who have heard the message of the gospel and yet have rejected the gospel. And we think about all those sheep out there have gone astray. But that's not what Isaiah nor the psalmist says. Isaiah says, all we like sheep. And the psalmist says, I have gone astray. While God does bless those who seek God with all their heart, you can only seek God with all your heart if you have first been sought by God. Have you ever heard the good news and thought, well, that might be for me, but I'm just not sure? That's God seeking you. Have you had faith but are stumbling and are straying at this point in your life? The good shepherd is seeking you to draw you back to him. He uses his word to do that. He uses your brothers and sisters in Christ to do that. Sometimes he uses affliction and suffering to do that. But God is seeking his children and none of them will be lost. The Christian life is a life of tension. On the one hand, we praise and proclaim because God has answered our prayers and has purchased us for himself. On the other hand, we struggle with suffering and we wander from the fold. But this tension is dependent upon and answered by the grace of Jesus alone. You are held tightly by the grace of God. You are held tightly by the one who answers and the one who seeks you out when you wander. And the reason the psalmist says the word is so important is because it is in that word that I see the good shepherd acting to pull me back, to seek me when I wander from his fold. We want an easy life. We want a victorious life because we're good Americans. But the scripture says the Christian life is one of tension, is one of struggle, and yes, at times is one of suffering and affliction. The victory has been won in the cross. You are God's sheep. 
And when life is good, when life is bad, or when life is ugly, the grace of God sees each and every one of us home. Let us pray. God and Father above, we do thank you for these words from the psalmist, all 176 of the verses. We thank you that he loved you enough to write these down so that we could read them, so that we could see your goodness, we could see your promises, we could see your law, we could see your righteousness, we could see you seeking your lost sheep. So Lord, when we wander, remind us that you are drawing us back in grace. When we struggle, wondering if you hear, remind us that you are always near. And when by your grace we find the answers to the prayer for understanding, help us to praise and proclaim your name. And Lord, when all of those happen at the same time, help us to rest in you and in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wander like a lost sheep. You wander like a lost sheep. But we are held close and pursued by the good shepherd. So as you go this week, know that, know that he gives his blessing and take this blessing with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.org. That's www.arpchurchfairly.org. Have a blessed day.